the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, friends, it's Monday. Can you feel it? Can you feel it, Brian? I can feel it. it what does feeling it on a Monday feel like? Like hard to get up in the morning. <laughs> Is that Just, true for you most Mondays? Uh, no. I <laughs> Starting here's off today random. with some lies. Here's something random I told my daughter on our... I dropped her off at school this morning, and I just said, it's the weirdest thing. I'm only 42. Sometimes I make myself sound like I'm in my mid-60s. <laughs> I wake up so early, and I like wake up through that. Like I just don't sleep well anymore. It's really weird. Like now that my kids are old enough that I should be able to sleep well, oh, I can't right. sleep well. It's just odd. It's I, odd. I woke up at like four thirty in the morning with my heart racing, worrying about sixteen things, and couldn't fall back asleep. So do you have that? I have that too, where I wake up worried, and that feels that in and of itself is really worrisome. What is happening to I us? Know. <laughs> Maybe this radio show is something. <laughs> Seriously, I was just staring at the ceiling, like, oh my gosh, I haven't done this. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I should resend this. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm not gonna. That is really frightening. Well, oh, and then when you have kids that you know are about to wake up at some point, it's got to be even scarier. Like, oh, I, can't, no, I can't wait for it. Well, if you're wondering what the heck is going on, this is The Common Good. You can find us on Facebook at The, the Common Good. Show. The Happy <laughs> Show. We wake up worried and depressed every day. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, plus on Twitter now at, at Common Good Talk, wherever it is that you get your podcast. And uh, if you like, subscribe and review that really does help us share it with a friend even if there's an episode that really spoke to you or you found to be complete heresy send it to somebody and uh, start a conversation because that is the point of the whole show is mm-hmm. to start conversations to lean in uh, to the gray the messy the stuff that doesn't have easy answers and uh, that's been kind of fun because for the last six months or so seven months now right is that right yeah we january 7th i believe we've de- we've delved into some topics that i think a year ago, I never would have guessed we would have even talked about, or I wouldn't have known to talk about. It's yeah. what I appreciate about this this format, and you all make suggestions, which helps us out a ton. So that's all going on at Twitter and Facebook and online. But I wanted to start with a, a little bit of a feel-good story, because mm-hmm. it feels like so much of what we did last week was just really heavy, and there was a lot of reasons to be heavy. Uh, we, we ended Friday on a little bit of a goofy note, but yep. why, why don't you share the details of this story first, and then, we'll, uh, and then we'll run with it. So it comes out of the tragedy in El Paso, which is what, two or three weeks ago now, uh, that mass shooting in El Paso. Uh, and it kind of became um, viral online about a man by the name of Antonio Basco. Antonio Basco's wife, uh, Margie Record, was killed, was one of the 22 people killed in that Walmart store. Uh, and it started to come out as they were planning the funeral. I believe it was the pastor, I believe the minister, who kind of sent word out online and said, basically, this guy's got nobody. Right. No family, no family. at right. all. Right. And um, which is just it's just wild to think about. And he was I think he had said he was worried that nobody was going to come to his wife's funeral yes. because they didn't have anybody. Uh, and um, he was. 
Uh, it said Mr. Basco and Miss Record met at a bar in Nebraska 22 years ago and eventually settled in El Paso. He said their life was like a fairy tale. She was a lady and she was the love of my life. Um, and so it's just a terribly hard story. Um, and and once this got out online, not only did people start sending in donations, the whole funeral got covered. They started in, started sending in flower arrangements from around the world as far away as Asia they receive flower arrangements. What ended up happening is that when I believe the minister said, hey, could some people come to the funeral, basically? Right. Uh, people just flooded the place. And there was like 700 people. 700 yeah. people lined up to pay their respects to her. The line went around the church and around another road. Many people came from across the U.S. They interviewed a lady who came from San Francisco. Uh, and people coming from all over. So out of the midst of unbelievable tragedy, like yeah. at the heart of this is a tragedy, uh, something good in in a in kind of um, uh, one of these things that doesn't it makes you go, OK, there is still good in humanity. There are still good people out there, even in the midst of a lot of darkness. Well, in the article that we're reading from specifically, the BBC uh, has just this beautiful photo of the husband hugging some of the guests that are there to visit. And the thing, the detail that I find interesting is that uh, the size of the crowd, it says, was so huge that the funeral company actually had to move the service to a larger facility, Mm. which kind of shows that they weren't actually expecting this many Uh, people to show up, right? There wasn't like an RSVP, there wasn't an Eventbrite or whatever. It was sort of a a pastor looking at a guy who was grieving and saying, hey, uh, internet, World Wide Web, can, can can we make something happen here? And people were traveling apparently from all over the place. It wasn't just people from this town or even necessarily surrounding town. Some people spent money and time to actually get there to support this guy. And I yeah. thought these are the kind of stories that I want to, I want to kind of keep in the forefront. We need to talk about the really heartbreaking right. stuff. We need to talk about the evil in the world. We need to, we need to go there too. But sometimes, and we've talked about this a little bit. Sometimes it's, it's so easy to be drawn to the really awful, the really heart wrenching, that, that kind of stuff. You don't have to search that far for it. Nope. And I saw this story and I thought, I want to talk about this. Not not just, again, the tragedy, like the thing that the, this guy still is experiencing, just an unthinkable loss. Yes. Like, let's not diminish that. Yeah, after the lines are gone and everyone goes home, he goes home to an empty house. An empty though. house, yep. and it and it shouldn't have been. Nope. that uh, A reality that should never have been. But this idea of strangers, really, taking up the mantle to care for somebody who's yeah. grieving, like grief. And we're going to talk about this a little bit in the next segment, but like grief being this beautifully unifying thing that whether or not we ever vote the same or believe the same or live in any kind of similar context, yeah. the experience of human grief is this like really beautiful unifier. And I think this is a story about that, not just the power of social media. We, yeah. It's easy to rail on social media without yeah. social media. This doesn't happen. Yeah. Right. But also humanity saying, Okay, I've never lost my wife to gunfire, but I have experienced grief Mm. and I have experienced being alone and I have experienced wishing someone was here to hold me. I'm going to I'm going to hop on a bus. I'm going to hop on a plane. I'm going to hop in my car and I'm going to go support this guy. I think that's beautiful. It is beautiful. You made me think of you talk about grief being a unifier. I mean, just think if you ask anybody who was around at that time, what was the most unified our country as a whole ever felt? It was September 12th, 2001. Right. And people will still go back like, oh, I wish our country could be like that. Well, that was a very extreme case that the whole country felt a tragedy. Right. And there was this immense unity. But this is a much smaller scale, but an impactful one, especially for this guy. Like you said, people coming out of the woodwork going, nobody should have to grieve alone. Right. Nobody should have to grieve uh, a tragedy like this by themselves. And. 
we want to make sure that this woman is honored in a way where her funeral is not empty. And That's so, good. right. Um, interesting. It's just interesting. There's, you know, I'd love to know the backstories to why are they so alone and, and this kind of stuff just hmm. sociologically. But, but it, the bigger picture, like you said, is people showed up, people showed and, and that's, I mean, it's a lot of what Jesus talked about, right? Love others. That's right. Just love others well. Uh, and we would want to be loved like that in the midst of tragedy. Oh, and I think I shared this story once. You know, when I was living in downtown Elgin, I uh, I, I just spent a lot of time with the homeless men and women in that community. And I I think I've shared this story. A, a buddy of mine passed in the night. He he froze sleeping outside. And um, there's a local church that opened up their church for the funeral. They offered it for free. And I remember thinking, I wonder who's going to attend the funeral of, of a homeless man who was also like a pretty belligerent drunk and so many people showed up and then the son gave a eulogy mm. and the thing that like always has rattled with me um, because again, what does the son of an alcoholic homeless father say at his right. funeral? And he said, my father gave so many people the opportunity to be Jesus to him and so few people took him up on that offer. And I wow. like it hit me like a ton of bricks, like the opportunities that we have oh, to man. be Jesus to people all the time. They don't have to have just experienced loss. They don't have to be homeless. They could be like you were saying, the, the couple of Panera it could be people yep. Yep. in the line of the grocery store. We, we have all these opportunities to help kind of, I think, heal the grief of those around us, even just with a smile yeah. or a nod or a word. And I think, uh, that's a little bit about what well, I want to talk about coming up next because Stephen Colbert yeah. was sharing with Anderson Cooper about his own grief and some of what he says about his experience of grief and his theology of grief, I think is actually really, really profound. And so yeah. we're going to take a deep dive into uh, grief and sorrow and theology with Stephen Colbert coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the ever-bobbing Brian Fromm. You can find out more on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, plus wherever it is you get your podcast at Common Good Talk on Twitter. Really, all over the place. An annoying amount of places. But uh, last segment we were talking about the story of uh, a husband who tragically lost his wife mm-hmm. in the El Paso shooting, and then just the the overflow of response to her service, 700 people from all over the country there to support him, kind of help him grieve. And we talked a little bit about this idea that grief unites us. It is this great human unifier, regardless of what you believe or where you grew up or how much money you do or don't have or the color of your skin. We all experience grief in some way. Now, obviously varying degrees and some are certainly more tragic, but uh, I saw this article floating around. It was a video of Stephen Colbert Mm -hmm. with Anderson Cooper and uh, Stephen Colbert, as you know, is not only a pretty devout Catholic, he's a really like well-read, well-spoken yeah. one. And anytime that I hear him, you know, because sometimes when I see clips of like celebrity weighs in on theology, I'm like, oh boy, is this a good idea? And I'm always really impressed with his poise and his level of depth, right? Especially for a comic actor, I don't know his his level of of uh, of depth and uh, his his rigorous study. I think really comes out in interviews like this. So I want to share just a couple of audio clips from that interview, and then sort of just get some of your reactions. So here's here's the first part of that interview. I remember you went on you went on say uh, what what punishments of God are not gifts. Do you really believe that? Yes, it's a gift to exist. It's a gift to exist, and with existence comes suffering. There's no escaping that. And I guess I'm either a Catholic or a Buddhist when I say those <laughs> things, because I've heard those from, from both traditions. But I didn't learn it 
that I was grateful for the thing I most wish hadn't happened is that I realized it. Mm-hmm. Is that, and it's a, it's an odd, oddly guilty feeling. It, it doesn't mean you. I don't are want. Happy I don't want it to have happened. I want it to not have happened. Right. But if you are grateful for your life, which I think is a positive thing to do, um, yeah. not everybody is, right. and not, I'm not always. Um, but it's the most positive thing to do, then you have to be grateful for all of it. So being grateful for all of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's such an interesting concept because it says earlier in that clip that with existence comes suffering. Yes. I don't think you would disagree with that. Correct. What do you think about the statement, the sentiment, if you're going to be grateful for any of your life, you have to be grateful for all of it. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, it's like you said, he talks very deeply. And uh, I do think, man, when I look at my own life in any time where I've faced hardship or suffering, uh, it's always been something where I go and kind of at the other end of it going, man, I really wish that had never happened. I don't want to do that again, but I'm a better person for having gone through it. Yeah, sure. And that's one of the weird things about suffering. And so, you know, to be, I got to chew on that one a little bit to be grateful for any of it. You got to be grateful for all of it. Yeah, <laughs> but right. um, I think he is, you know, he he's making an obvious point that, uh, that suffering uh, is a reality that, that we can't pretend doesn't exist because when we do, then our theology is lacking and, and it's just not the reality of the world. Well, and what we're not saying is to not get angry. We've tackled sure. this a couple of times. One of the one, I think one of the unfortunate modern interpretations of Christian theology is that, well, Christians have the joy of the Lord, so we can't ever be sad. We right. can't ever be angry. Like, you know, I don't know if you know this, but the grief that he's talking about is his father and brothers dying in a plane crash. I mean, I didn't even know that until reading this, that when he was 11 years old, he lost his father and brothers in a plane crash. And then also what's striking in this clip is that Anderson Cooper is clearly crying. Right. It's and, clearly emotional for him, too. And Cooper, it says here, was the same age of 11 when his own father died. His brother That's committed right. suicide a few years later and his mother, Gloria Vanderbilt, passed away earlier this summer. Right. And that's where those tears are coming from. Yes. And that's what makes this such a genuine conversation. Well, and that's the thing that I think we trick ourselves into thinking that either our grief doesn't affect us or, unfortunately, that other people don't have grief. Right. Like right. The, the idea, it's a little cliche, but. Like every person you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Yes. Every person, every person you cut off in traffic and the cashier you roll your eyes at and the waitress that you're rude to, every person is fighting some kind of battle that we know nothing about. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that their parents and siblings died in a plane crash, but maybe, right? Maybe they have a spouse that's battling cancer. Maybe maybe they've been struggling with depression their entire life. There's just no way for us to know that. And I think we get so caught kind of in our own rhythms are kind of own myopic. This is what I'm doing today. And um, what he says uh, just after that clip, I think is equally as profound. There's a really good challenge for us today. So let's, let's, let's give a listen to that. If you are grateful for your life, which I think is a positive thing to do. um, (laughs) Not everybody is. And I'm not always, Mm -hmm. um, but it's the most positive thing to do. Then you have to be grateful for all of it. You can't pick and choose what you're grateful for. And, then, so what do you get from loss? You get awareness of other people's loss. Well, that's true. Empathy. Which allows you to connect with that other person. Right. Which allows you to love more deeply and to understand what it's like to be a human being, if it's true that all humans suffer. So that mm. idea is something that I am endlessly interested in, that when you experience loss, you also gain awareness of other people's loss. Yeah. It's like... Grief carves out a depth in our hearts that allows us to feel other people's pain more deeply. 
like it's one of the things in pastoral counseling that I'm always really fascinated by is the story of someone who tragically lost a child that say yep is now so wonderfully equipped after they've gone through some healing right yes. they can't jump right into okay I'm gonna start caring for people there has to be this sometimes year long years long season of grief right but that person now is so beautifully equipped to care for other people who have walked through similar things way better than Pastor Ian or Brian Absolutely. to be honest like that's that's the body of Christ at its best like oh my gosh you're experiencing that. You know who else did? Yes. The guy two pews behind you. Yep. Like you two need to get coffee. You two, like be Jesus to each other in this moment. And I just think that's that's when the body of Christ is at its best. I love those moments too of being able to connect people within your church of going, hey, you need to talk to that person. You yeah, need to talk right, to that person. Right. But you're hundred percent right. Like and that was what I was getting at a little bit before of going like there you're better off having gone through it, but you don't want to go through it. Like I've there right. are certain things my wife and I've gone through or we've gone through as a family where it's like, I don't ever want to do that again. Right. But I also know that I have a deeper empathy. I have a deeper understanding. There's something. Mm. It doesn't mean that was good. Yeah. It's kind of what you got at before. Like it, to say you have to be grateful for everything isn't like, oh, it's all fine. You know, everything's Lo- cool. Losing my child wasn't a big. No, that's a huge, that's a huge deal. That's going to star you for the rest of your life and change right. you as a person. Right. Uh, but. God does do work out of those things or yes. there is things that grow out of the ashes that I think he's touching on here. That is uh that's really powerful. I think if you're listening to, and you're someone that maybe is in a season of grief, I would say this, um, the most painful part of your story may very well might be the most life giving part of someone else's. Yes. And maybe not yet. You know, I, I heard a Russian pastor years ago. He said something like, he said, Christians are a lot like nails. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. Mm. There is something about the depth that's, that's really created. Good. And I'm sure you felt this. You're 42, right? Yep. You ever like listen to really young pastors and they're like really doing their best, but you're like, man, you haven't really felt some pain yeah. yet. And yeah. there is something, I'll just say this maybe, maybe this is a better way to say it. I think the pastors and preachers and theologians and teachers and leaders that, that like I think most resonate with the room sometimes without even saying it, you know, oh, they've walked through some stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And I don't know if you feel like you're there yet at 42 or not. I think I, I've much more understand life and the mm. struggles of it. Uh, and we've had some tragedy in our life, but there's, there certainly comes a level of tragedy that I also struggle to, um, to interact with, with people. And but that's uh, honest though. It is honest. Right? I, you're not pretending like I totally get what you feel. And you're like, no, to I, the point I remember saying to somebody once, Cause that's what we always say. Like, I totally like, I like you. So let's use your phrase. I get what you're feeling. I remember saying that and then stopping myself going, actually, I don't. Actually, yeah, good for you. Actually, I don't, but I can, you know, I, I I'm here to listen and here to talk. Yeah. Good for you. So that kind of talk. Well, speaking of listening, perfect segue, Brian Fromm, and you didn't even know it. <laughs> I didn't. Coming up next, we're going to talk about what did you preach yesterday? It's Monday and as pastors, it's a very weird day for us, but we like to take just a segment every Monday to talk about and unpack a little bit what we taught, how we felt about it. It's maybe helpful to no one but the two of us, but we enjoy doing it. So we that's do. what we're going to do next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. How did that strike you there? I, I feel like we've taken another step as a show. We re- <laughs> this is a milestone for us. Do you know who that is, by the way? No. Oh, that's John Legend, man. Oh, I do like John Legend. You can't. I think the song's just called Preach, the whole chorus. Is, it can't, it's actually a very moving music video. I didn't realize that. I thought of the song, 
And I, of course, looked it up. And because I'm a blubbering mess at everything now, you should check it out. It's pretty it's pretty moving. It is kind of one of those moments where, like, art actually, like, is speaking to something really yeah. current. And uh, I don't know. I have an honest question. I did not know they still made music videos. So you're saying it's a video? No, stop. I thought, because they stopped showing them on like MTV or VH1 or whatever, right? You, you, you thought music videos ceased to exist? Yeah. They, they literally, like MTV doesn't show music videos anymore, right? Okay, PJ's pulled up the mic. I think he wants to weigh in here. Oh, I mean, there's this thing called YouTube. <laughs> I felt like that was very sarcastic. I just say, it's always just a teensy bit <laughs> condescending with that guy. Uh, it's, I don't know, usually, <laughs> but like... Vivo, you ever heard of Vivo? No. Okay. Well, it's it's a, it's a YouTube channel. It's basically He's, the what's MTV. YouTube? The the YouTube or the Facebook. But I'm right no. that MTV stopped doing all music videos, right? I actually didn't know MTV was still a thing. <laughs> Where do you think it's the real world is? <laughs> they're not still doing real worlds, are they? No, they're doing like the. It's like the teen version of TLC. Oh, that's so like a not of, good. No, it's not. But oh boy, Jersey Shore videos. Yeah. <laughs> okay. See, we have spiraled. We have derailed, team. So what we've learned is there are still music videos at the YouTube. Not we've learned. Yeah. You've learned. <laughs> Collectively, <laughs> no, John and I are very aware. I just told you about. One. But like people. Okay, I'm going to send the, the oldest I've ever been. So we used to like turn on MTV to watch music videos. Snooze fest. So now people are going to YouTube like, I want to see Taylor Swift's new music video. I can't tell if you're playing a character right now. I'm not. not. <laughs> I'm not. Yes. There, yes. Okay, so yes. I should go to YouTube and see John Legend, his music it's video. Preach. preach. Right. Okay, I will do it. Like when Childish Gambino's video for This Is America, when Megabyte, sure. you don't even know what that song is. <laughs> I don't know who you just talked about. You know who Childish Gambino is. No. All right. Okay. We need to have, can we, I'm going to dedicate a whole future segment. We're going to educate Brian Fromm. <laughs> uh, this was all over the, that's not. No, tell that's, me. Yeah. Tell me. No, no. We'll get into it some I'm other time. I'm with, I'm not the only one listening right now who doesn't know who that is. Oh, that's fine. I would love to do it. And I'm sure that there's plenty that I, you know, in modern music that I'm actually kind of losing a step, I think, because there's so much I can't keep up. We've wasted so much time in this segment talking about this. <laughs> All right, so here's... Because that's what we do when we preach. That's right, right, exactly. That's the segue. That's why we played that music, because yesterday we preached, and uh, I didn't even ask, did you preach yesterday? You did, okay. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you preached, and then sort of how you felt about it. Yeah, 1 John chapter 3. Love uh, it. And I probably bit off more than I can chew. So it was, (laughs) we're trying to get through the book of 1 John by the end of the summer, and... Uh, you know, oh, when, geez. when you when you put and I I was very honest about it in the beginning. Okay. This is going to be a high fly like. Right. We're going to get there. Um, but every now and then you get to first John chapter three and you're like, oh, there's like four weeks in first John chapter three. Yes. And so I warned them of that. I said, you know, every now and then like a movie or a TV show comes with a warning. This sermon's <laughs> coming with a warning. Not like explicit lyrics. No, or no, okay. Could be longer than you wanted. <laughs> Objects in mirror are much further away. Um, and so it, first John chapter three, the first three verses, I said to them, I said, this is as sometimes it can become, we can become numb to it, but it's as good of news as there is. Hmm. It talks about the love that God has lavished on us. And I love that word lavished. And it says uh, the Greek there is actually when it says behold or see is like, uh, the word used for of another country. It's like this mm. feeling of like this love is like so unbelievable. It's not even like we can't grasp it. And uh, and it says, and what is this love that we should be called children of God? And then he says, and that's what we are. And so yeah. I just pound that whenever I can, I pound home our identity in Christ as children. And so we talked about that for a while. Um, and, and that was the what's what's a while, by the way. And I don't think I've ever asked you how long your sermons are. 
Uh, I tend to be 25 to 30 minutes. No kidding. All yes. right, cool. I rarely, if ever, I, I'll bet you if you did most of my sermons, they'd probably average at like 28. Wow. What do you do? Uh, well, I mean, community-wide, the goal is 25. Okay. I mean, we add a little bit here and there sometimes, but before community, I was preaching 45. Were you? I think. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> I'm sure anyone from popular listening wow. is thinking like, yeah, sometimes more. <laughs> Wow, that's yeah. impressive. I'm not no, sure I it's could not do that. impressive. No, I wish I wish yeah. I had started preaching shorter sermons earlier. I'm with you on that. I'm with that. I remember somebody coming up to me being like, uh, you know the TED Talks are twenty minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, but there's a weird like sense in Christendom though, like, yeah, we're not TED Talks. This is the church and you should yes. love listening to the preacher for an hour and a half and man. Different strokes for different folks. I yeah, guess. that's yeah. whatever. So I yeah, I tend to be but anywhere in that twenty five to thirty range. And so uh, we talked about that. Basically, the point of the sermon was this, and we'll get to yours here, is that obedience and love that the rest of that passage tell us we should do. Like, these are signs that right. we're followers of Jesus. Right. They grow out of knowing how much we are loved and our identity, and we can't reverse those that's two. That's good, man. Uh, so that's basically where we went, and they define love there that we're to show other people in Jesus. Yeah, right. He laid down his life, and you should show that same love to yeah. others. And you're like, oh, man, and my point was... The more we understand Christ's love to us, the more we can show that love to other people. So I felt good. Uh, I did feel like I probably tried to bite off more than I can chew, but yeah. we all do that at times. I totally How get that. How about you? You're in the middle of bless. So bless, yeah, B-L-E-S-S. And so we were on the L, which stands for listen. So I started off talking about uh, how often we mishear lyrics like hold me closer tony danza you know like (laughs) um, and how that isn't just in lyrics how that happens in conversation a lot and the term there's actually a term it's called mondegreen the misheard word or phrase that makes sense in your head but is in fact entirely incorrect the history of the mondegreen by the way mondegreen mondegreen is so interesting i'm not going to tell you what it is i'm going to encourage you to go google it because it's a really funny kind of backstory but there's this quote that uh, i've loved for a while it's david augsburger he says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Oh, that's powerful. That so often we're just, you know, we say this all the time. We're moving so fast that we miss kind of the people in our lives. So we did sort of a flyover of all these different ways that Jesus is modeling this. He, you know, there's huge crowds and a blind beggar is calling out and, and Jesus stops where yeah. the crowd wants him to go. And he's talking to the woman at the well and he's talking to people at the pool, right? Like he is, he's so often crouching down low and listening and it's not just always the big and the miraculous. Sometimes yeah. he's just pulling up a chair and he's, he's being present. And I think that that's really hard for me in particular. Cause I just, I like to go so fast yep. and preaching sermons like this are so convicting because I'm just not great at it. I told a couple of cool stories. One of them was about a neonatal nurse that, you know, everyone, the, this baby turned blue and they thought it was the lungs. So people were preparing to go to surgery and she kept yelling, no, it's the heart. And they pointed to the heart monitor. They're like, no, the, the heart's just fine. Well, it turns out there was an air pocket around the heart. And so the electro impulses were still getting sent to the monitor, but she got the whole room to be quiet, got a stethoscope on the baby's chest and heard that the heart wasn't beating. And so the kind of idea was how often do we slow down the noise wow. of our lives to actually truly listen to the hearts of the people around us. And did they save the baby? They did save the baby. Yes. It's it's a really miraculous, incredible story. And we talked about how we, you know, we don't just listen to people. We listen to places and we challenge our small groups, man, get a newspaper and just go cover to cover in your small group and highlight every need you identify. And then ask your group, what's one way we could love our city or our neighborhood Mm. or our community. Like it's not just listening like you and I do interpersonally. It's also listening to what does our city need? Like what is our, community need and i ended with uh with this quote from dallas willard who i love he said the first act of love is always the giving of attention Mm. 
I l- I'm so convicted by that really because good. I often leave my phone face up on the desk, yep. my laptop open while I'm talking to somebody. Yep. Sometimes I think the holiest thing you can do is turn the phone off, yeah, that's good. close the laptop, just be present with the people around you. And I think uh, that's obviously easier said than done. But for me, again, I don't know if sermons are like this for you. Some of you just walk away and you're like, that might have not been for anybody but me. But me right now. <laughs> right now. So, yes. so convicting. And I felt okay about it. I felt pretty good about it. But it was still one of those things that I walked away thinking, man, I got, I got a lot of work to do in this yeah, area still. Yeah. Well, coming up next from Christian Headlines, church buys school supplies for every student at their local elementary school. I can't wait Mm. to dive into this story because I think we need some feel-good news. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. This was my punk band in junior high. No, it's not nope. true. Nope. Did you know that I played in like five punk bands from junior high to high school? Oh, only because you've told us before, but I did not. I would not have guessed it. Do you want to know any of the band names? I do. I want to know all the band names. I don't know that I remember all of them. Uh, out, give me the top outnumbered. Three. Outnumbered. That's a good punk band name right there. Backup plan. It's okay. We're in a band called Suburbia. <laughs> <laughs> I think for one of those shows, actually. <laughs> At the beginning of the show, I rode in on a unicycle from the back. <laughs> I think that's how we began the show. And now, suburbia. <laughs> yeah, right. Comes. Like the least. <laughs> <laughs> we were in one band called Remission. So these are all different people or not the same band that keeps changing yeah, the name. Sometimes there was like a like one member that would stay the same. But yeah, bands in junior high and high school. But we were so proud of this one, though, because it was. I think this was the first like Christian band I was in. Uh-huh. And it was Remission, like the old reading of uh, For the Remission of Sins. But the way that we illustrated it, though, is like regarding the mission, we felt so clever. That's and good. I am so embarrassed by that now. <laughs> but my buddy Aaron made like stickers and a website for us, and we had T-shirts. <laughs> and the lead singer of that band actually is now a super famous, super talented worship leader. Uh, I won't embarrass him by saying his name right now. But you did a punk band with Chris Tomlin. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good, good father, man. Let me, <laughs> let me, let me just tell you. All right, so I teed it up, and uh, this feels like the first hour is our like feel good hour, and yes. it's gonna take a weird turn in the second hour. <laughs> so, so like really soak up the good vibes if now. You, if you like to get angry at things, segment one of next hour, please, yeah, is for yeah. you. What, what a teaser! But until that time, though, Brian Fromm, why don't you fill our hearts with gladness and joy? It is church buys school supplies for every student at their local elementary school. I'm just gonna read to you the story. I feel warm already uh, because it is. Every now and then we just like to say, hey, this is uh, there's good things. We ask you to send us stuff that, you know, of churches that are doing uh, really cool things. And this is one of them. A local church has made a wonderfully generous donation to a local elementary school, opting to purchase academic supplies for every single student uh, due to attend. Parkview Mennonite Church in Hillsborough, Kansas, will cover the cost of every child enrolled in Hillsborough Elementary School grades K through five this year. The idea came about after a local resident and church gro- churchgoer uh, spotted a Facebook post which featured a story of a church supplying a local school with much-needed educational resources. After leaving the store and being in a bit of a shock over how much supplies cost for my kids, I realized what a blessing it would be uh, if a church could do that for Hillsboro. Then I thought, why not Parkview? Another of the women involved in organizing the scheme said that she was sure her church would be keen to step up and assist the community. So after a quick conversation with the church elders, it was decided the church would make a generous financial donation and ensure that all those 
uh, sewing into their future by attending the local school would be well equipped for the academic year ahead. Now, with so many young people thrilled at getting a new year of education off to a fantastic start, the ladies behind the gift are hoping it will serve as a reminder to Christians everywhere that they should count it a privilege to be mm. able to actively invest in their local communities. She wrote, we send out missionaries to help people in other countries, but we also have to be helping people in our own country. We're doing this for people we don't even know. We just want to help and we don't want anything in return, way to go, Mennonite Church there in Kansas. I uh, really love the Mennonite Church. I'm not yep. going to lie. We hired a youth pastor when I was at Poplar who was a Mennonite dirt biker from Pennsylvania named Jarrell. Really? And yeah. That, about, that, a Mennonite dirt biker. Uh-huh. Okay. He's actually, he, I mean, just a super smart dude. He, Our students were, we had a whole... This is sort of an offshoot. You know, I was the youth pastor who became the lead pastor, mm-hmm. which is a, it's a pretty intimidating environment to hire a youth pastor when I'm like, oh, where's the old youth pastor? Oh, he's the lead pastor. Yep. No, thank you. Yep. The youth pastors that we had after me were such better pastors. <laughs> I felt so grateful that our students that that aside, I love stories like this. And I think it's interesting that um, people do tend to find a general sense of warmness, even if they're not interested in Christianity or yep. Bible or church, like, oh, this is just good. Like, I remember seeing somebody a couple years ago post an image and they said, hey, want, want, do you want to know how you can serve the kids in your community? Call up your local school and cancel all the lunch debt. Hmm. And I was like, that's a thing you can do? And they're like, yeah, it's usually like $140 or something so insanely affordable to most of us. Like, you know, we think about, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Yep. And, but I, I never even, the thought never even crossed my mind. And that's why I love stories like this, because it's people doing things that, seems so obvious. Like hearing you read this, I'm like, well, duh, what a great need for the church to meet right here in our own backyard. But how often do we kind of get lost? I think maybe you've touched on this. You know, we like to go do the thing. We often, I think, miss kind of the opportunities right under our noses. I cannot know lunch debt. I knew it was a thing for individuals, but I would never have thought of that. And that's where a lot of this comes from, right? How many stories have we done where churches tackled medical debt, uh, just debt in general, uh, with just creativity. A lot of yes. this just takes time and creativity, which is Seriously. something that we lack. And uh, and this is just a cool story, but it's also, you know, it costs them. That it's, Yeah, right. It's no small cost to cover every kid at that school. And uh, But you got to love what the lady said, that, that it's an opportunity to love on your community, that we often yes. talk about the other countries, which are super important. Uh, but we neglect the needs right around us. And so what a cool thing this church is doing. Uh, and, and churches at this uh, do these types of things all the time. Um, I feel like we, not we, but just our culture caricatures per churches in a lot of ways. But in reality, most churches, big and small, uh, are incredibly generous, looking for ways to yeah. love their community. And we want to remind ourselves of that. Are there things that you guys do that are similar to something like this? Uh, I mean, we've done stuff and we... These things always get me a little bit um, feeling a little bit convicted because Mm -hmm. I feel like when we first started the church, we did this better. And there's just easy ways now to jump back in. But we did things from like bringing donuts to teachers uh, to we do a Christmas market. I think we kind of stole the idea a little bit from you guys. And so uh, did you really? Yeah, a little bit. And so we do a Christmas market every year that is um, wildly successful in helping people buy Christmas presents for their, you know, for their kids. Uh, we do a monthly community meal for people who can't afford it. Uh, but I love what we don't do enough of that. I love are these creative one-offs and just like, Hey, here's an opportunity 
uh, a one-time opportunity. I just think it's really cool. I want to also dive more into I've key, I see more and more churches doing what that one story we did with the medical debt. Yes. Right. I think it's fascinating I because too. it's like, wow, that's such a huge deal for people. Well, and I got to give a shout out to to Amy Plummer and Eric Dorsey and their whole team. They've been on the show before. Actually, mm-hmm. they lead our community 412 effort and the stuff they do year round that looks a lot like this in a really sustainable way uh-huh. that maintains dignity. Like there is something really beautiful about even like with the gift mart, we're not just giving toys exactly. away. We get them donated and then parents can buy them for a dollar or two each. Right. So they get to too. shop them for their own kids rather than just kind of getting a sack of freebies. Yep. And we care for their kids while they do it. And there's hot cocoa and we wrap it for them. I don't know, man. Like I'm so I'm so blown away by the brilliance of people who think things up yep. like that in the first place. And I just while you were talking, I Googled um, 75% of U.S. school districts report student meal debt. 75% wow. of U.S. school districts report Student meal debt. And you'd be surprised to know how, afford- like it says, the, the median amount of unpaid student meal debt for a school district is $2,500. Mm. That's for the whole district. So if someone's listening right now, even, I don't know, this I wasn't really planning on this. You can get like five friends together and say, hey, we're just going to, we're going to wipe it. We're going to take care of it for these families mm. that are struggling yep. to even just feed their kids during a regular school day. That's I, just, cool. I don't know. I think that there's a lot that we could do there. Well, coming up next, there's a a pastor whose name I can't say, not because I'm not allowed to, (laughs) but because I can't pronounce it. We're going to try. But after a sex scandal, he is now starting a church in Palm Beach Gardens. So we're going to dive into the weeds on that one. Coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. If you want to find us, find us at your own risk, but (laughs) you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good on Twitter at Common Good Talk, or wherever it is you get podcasts. I do need to ask you, Brian Fromm, have you listened at half the speed yet? I have not. Oh, Brian. I need to. Date night. You you and your wife (laughs) go get a nice bottle of Pinot and just listen to us at half speed. For 45 seconds, you'll laugh the rest of date night. Nothing nothing says uh, well-used date night than a glass of wine and listening to you and I at half speed. So I'm, what I'm saying is invite me to your date night. <laughs> let, me, let me come on over. and. Uh, she already does it. My wife already doesn't like when I talk a lot on our date night. So, you know, now she got to listen to me talk. <laughs> Joking. That was sarcasm. Who Who is the talker so, on date nights? This is not at all what we're talking about, but. Who does most of the talking? I'll give you one guess, and I'll mm-hmm. tell you he usually wears the headphones and <laughs> speaks into a microphone. <laughs> so I do. She wants to just like let's just be let's just enjoy the quiet together. And that's like a sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes she says, Why'd you talk so much today? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but props to her for just saying it. Oh yeah. Hey, no, you said no. a lot of words, and yeah. I'd like less words next time. Yeah, that's I would like less words. <laughs> you said six thousand, I'd like two thousand. Can we do that? Just have someone <laughs> let's with a clicker. Negotiate these words. <laughs> Bring a lawyer yeah. into it. Yeah. Sometimes when like you, you have little opportunity to talk in general, right? With kids running around all yeah, this. Right. Once you do, sometimes it just all pours out of me. Yeah. I totally, I totally get that. Um, but only kind of. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes at the end of a day, I'm like, I'm all out of words. I, 
I don't. Want to, I am done with talking. <laughs> I do not want to speak anymore. All right. So here I, I teed it up, and uh, why don't why don't you fill us in? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> you know, it's another one of these stories that you and I we feel like we have to tackle, but don't always want to tackle. It's out of Florida, the Palm Beach Post. Uh, And it says this, it's titled this, after sex scandal, Billy Graham's grandson is starting a church in Palm Beach Gardens. Now, to always be known as Billy Graham's grandson has got to be difficult. And there's something I think that probably plays into this. But anyway, background story. There is a pastor and author by the name of Tulian Shavigian, and his name is spelled as crazy as that sounded. Uh, And he just started a church. And you might be thinking, well, that's awesome. We need more churches. It's 60 to 80 people. Uh, were in the congregation the other day at a Hilton Garden Inn, which is serving as their spot of worship before they can find a permanent home. Chavidjian is the 47-year-old grandson of Billy Graham, and it says here a Christian celebrity in his own right, as he was leading church now for the first time since his June 2015 resignation as senior pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in northern Fort Lauderdale. What you need to know is that Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church is one of those churches. It is a big St- uh, one of those churches in the sense of like you know in every in every community there are the churches everybody knows about right like it is an influential church so uh you know like in our area the, the yellow box you know <laughs> i see what you did there you got such joy out of doing that it's i really did and so uh Chavigian <laughs> was a young pastor there a lot of people thought he was brash it caused a lot of problems well uh he wrote multiple books um, what was the book he was well known from? It's I'm losing it now, but it's a lot about fallenness and forgiveness mm. and all this stuff. Um, but uh, he ended up having he ended up having an affair. Uh, was put kind of on sabbatical and probation or whatever, and then he had another affair after he was sort of like reinstated, right? Correct. Yeah. And so yeah. multiple affairs. He lost his job and he kind of got a divorce, kind of somewhat of a very public divorce. Uh, just a lot of ugliness. Um, under, he came under the leadership of another church that was kind of, um, uh, handling his restoration process, if you would. And they wrote this in 2016 and recently said they still stand by it. Uh, they said, we would also like to state in the clearest possible terms that we do not believe that Mr. Chavigian should be in any form of public or vocational ministry, uh, at this time. There've been some uh, was it just an affair or was it kind of a more power abuse thing? Mm. Just I don't want him to keep going into details except to say really, really messy situation. But he's the next in a long line of these guys who were pastors and celebrities of big churches who fell, whether it be sexually, financially, power plays, whatever, and then kind of go away for a little while and then start churches again. And I think right. that's the interesting conversation to have here, like. At what point is somebody um, uh, worthy is the wrong word restored to the point of starting another church? Yeah. I would say he's not from the outside looking in. I would say uh, I would think there's a couple steps that need to happen that do not appear to be happening in this. And I think set people up and set the church up uh, and set him up for doing a lot of the same things he did before. So I think you're right. I do recognize that, you know, you and I right here in the studio don't have all the pieces. That's what I tried to say from afar. But I also think apology without change is manipulation, Mm -hmm. right? And whether that's in leadership or in marriage or in interpersonal, apology without change is manipulation. And it does appear, again, from afar, not Mm -hmm. having all the pieces, there's a presbyter, there's a, a polity that he's accountable to that you have an affair, uh, you're removed for a time, yep. and the 
you know, the method of restoration is different in every denomination, every church, but there was a, a, an agreement, I guess at the end of that, like, okay, we think he's, we think he's actually adequately restored. He's put back in a position of power. Yep. Does it again. And now we're having this conversation. Yep. I'll be really honest. I have very, very little patience for any of this. It's so frustrating to me. I can't even, I can barely think straight. Yeah. And I think what people need to, because you might be out there going, well, he has apologized. Let's say God's forgiven. There's second chances. And I would say this, there is a difference though, between restoration and restoration to ministry and leadership. Would we say that he can't be forgiven, that God can't restore him? Absolutely not. It's not the same thing. Exactly. But we we do that, right? Even in this article, I didn't read the quotes, but even in this article, people were interviewed who are already going to his church going, God's a God of second chances. God does this. And I would say, slow down. There's a difference, right? He's not out of the faith. We're just saying that he's out of the ministry. And guys, I think there's a long list of people that need to fall under this umbrella. I think... Uh, what you see at Harvest. I don't think James McDonald should be jumping back into ministry until there's a couple steps that have taken for maybe more or, than a couple for exactly, me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or, and there's, there's just a litany, but for some reason, and I think a lot of it has to do with arrogance and ego yeah. and the ability to make money. Quite frankly, this is the job. <laughs> People jump right back in. Mark Driscoll, he blew up his church in Seattle and moved to Arizona, started another one. Like right. nothing ever happened. Uh, and so we just got to be really careful here. And I, I think I want to say this very clearly. I think you can be both forgiven and still disqualified from leadership. I 100 percent agree. The analogy that one of my mentors used to give was that of a long jump. And he said, you know, in a long jump match, there's a line that you can't cross before you jump. If if even a toe is over mm-hmm. that line, it doesn't matter if you just broke the record by three feet. Yep. That jump doesn't count because you disqualified yourself. And so often, this is why I think this analogy is so perfect, because we, we tend to give so much more grace to the people that we see as, quote, talented, which is often kind of categorized more like as anointed mm-hmm. or called or has mm-hmm. God's favor. The guy's shown, and, th- and we talked about this a little off air, this idea that platform isn't in some capacity power yes. and that any affair emotionally or physically with someone under that power is an abuse of power to put it kindly. That's the kindest way I can say it. And, and you had mentioned some other pastors who have been restored after a long arduous journey, but they're like really aggressively held accountable by a whole other team of leadership. They're not leading a church again. And maybe I'm like extra passionate about this because this is, this is what you and I do. Exactly. But I, you know, I was hired at a church right out of college where the lead pastor Mm -hmm. was removed. And when he was removed, all of the outcry was, what about grace? What about forgiveness? And we had to say, we had to kind of stick to our guns. He's been forgiven. Grace has been extended. He can no longer lead this church. Yes. And, and for some people that made perfect sense. Other people that was really unforgiving and was the wrong thing to do. Yeah. I would say if you're, uh, seeing these stories, I think one of the huge differences is intentional and like actual accountability. Yeah. If you see that this person who has fallen comes under uh, accountability and basically gives other people the ability to say you're ready now or not ready, I would say that's a good sign. If you just see them go away for a while and all of a sudden they're the being they're in charge again and doing this huge, huge red flag, no matter how good of a speaker or writer they are. 
And we've shared this to the Facebook, so honestly, maybe we're missing something. We'd love to know mm-hmm. what you think. What are your thoughts? Do you have other information that maybe we're not weighing well? I honestly would really love to know what the general uh, listening audience thinks about this story or the story in general about how we hold leaders accountable, because I think it's a really, really important conversation. Well, coming up next, Jordan Feliz has a show coming up at a church that I've heard of. <laughs> it's called the Yellow Box. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's coming up in September, but we're going to have him on the phone to talk a little bit about uh, songwriting and touring and just being an artist in the Christian world. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all sorts of places on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, on Twitter at at Common Good Talk. Plus, if you're sick of us saying it, I'm just going to say it again, we are podcasted wherever it is you get your podcast. If you like, subscribe, and review, that does somehow magically help us. And if you share it with a friend, we would be so very grateful. And I'm excited to have on the phone with us Jordan Feliz, a uh, musician, a songwriter, a fellow hat lover, I'm noticing. So uh, I'm excited to have on the show. Jordan, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, man. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. <laughs> Wonderful. One of the things I like to have guests do, rather than me just sort of read their bio, is to let you first just introduce yourself to our audience however you would like. So how would Jordan Feliz introduce himself to the people listening? Yeah. I, I, well, first of all, hi, I'm Jordan. Um, <laughs> that's, and, uh, that's good. It's a good start. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, man, I'm, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm honestly just stoked to be here. I'm just a kid from, you know, Clovis, California. And, uh, I've had the Lord just kind of give me a calling, I guess that mm. my wife and I both felt at the same time to go to Nashville. And, um, we got here, and five hours after I got here, I met the lady that got me a record deal. Oh, no way. No so, kidding. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I'm, just, uh, I'm just trying to do my best to trust and to follow the footsteps that God places in front of my feet, and here I am. I'm always fascinated by Nashville because you always hear about actors and actresses. They, they, they got to get to L.A. or to Hollywood and and you guys always, everyone goes to Nashville. Can you describe what it's like to finally, as a songwriter and a singer, like to kind of put your roots down in Nashville? What is it about Nashville? Help people understand that scene a little bit. You know, man, what drew us in was really just like Christian music is all based here. Like mm-hmm. that, this is where it's all based. And so um, it's where all the labels are. It's where publishing houses are. It's where like all the hub is. And so, um, that was kind of like the goal was to move here. And, and like, honestly, the other thing is I have to say, like our city is very infectious. Like it's very like amazing. (laughs) And the people here are just very kind and sweet and um it's a lot different than california (laughs) Um, so uh so we man we just we just fell in love with it man and i i think we just uh we just decided that this was our our home you know and putting roots here putting down roots here felt right you know um or else you know i don't think we would have stayed so so my uh, my good buddy Ben Calhoun, who uh, who leads the band Citizen Way, moved down there a few years ago and said the exact same thing. He's like, "Oh, as far as collaboration and writing, it's just like it's just in the air." Which, honest, I mean, sounds kind of amazing. And I know that your latest single, Faith, actually just went to radio. 
don't you talk to us yeah. a little bit about the history of that song and sort of what it's mean, what it's meant to kind of see it become what it is? Yeah, dude, um, Fates is a special one for me. I, uh, I don't know about y'all, but I, I have struggled my entire life with control mm-hmm. and trusting God with things in my life. Um, you know, and I have two babies now. I have a four and a one year old. I have, you know, my wife and my career and I have all these things. And every day you kind of have to wake up and make the decision to trust God with those things. Um, and it's, it's a conversation that I have with him frequently about how much I really am not good at it. Mm. (laughs) Um, uh, I'm not good with, with, you know, being able to say like, you know, you have my career and you have my family and you have my health and my family's health. And somehow I think our human nature is to just trick ourselves into thinking that we have control over it and that we can be the ones to manipulate it and to make it what we want it to be. And, um, I wanted to write a song that was kind of for me, honestly, it was something that I felt like God kind of gifted for me. Um, but in that gift, I felt like it resonated with like my entire community. You know what I mean? Like all the people around me, it was like, dude, this is the song that I needed to hear, you know? Um, just because it's a song that is literally all about enabling us in the fact that we have a God that he gives us these things that are his. And yet we trick ourselves into thinking them that they're ours. Mm. And, uh, and when we cough those things up and we give them back to him and we trust him with those things, it's when we find true freedom, um, in what faith really actually looks like Mm. with trusting God in our lives. Well, that's powerful. And you're about to go out on the faith tour. Uh, you're headlining it, it says, from uh, kind of early to mid-September to the end of November. And you're going to come through Chicagoland Friday, September 20th at 7.30 p.m. at the Yellow Box uh, Community hey, Christian place. Church in Naperville. <laughs> make sure make sure Ian's the one introducing you there. And yeah. uh, just use his name. You'll get free stuff in the cafe, I think. <laughs> and, uh, I'm curious. Uh, a, do you like going on tour or do you like more the creating of like songwriting? Uh, which do you prefer? And now you mentioned you've got, I believe, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Do they go on tour with you or are you gone for two months? How does that all work? Yeah. Um, well, first off, I do love being on tour. It's a great, it's fun. Um, it's a great job, you know, um, it's, it's a dream job, man. Yeah. Um, there are days obviously it becomes work and, you know, I mean, just with like with anything, man, you can, I have so many friends that, you know, have, you know, really stuck with dreams and succeeded. Um, and then when you finally get to where you want to go, you're like, man, like this is awesome, but I still have to work. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and, uh, and so I really enjoy it, but I also really love the creative process. I think that they're two very different things yeah, in my right. mind. Um, they they kind of access two very specific parts of my heart and my brain. Um, and so the touring aspect really gets, uh, it, it, to me, it's the ministry is mm. touring. Um, it's the, uh, you're like out there, like kind of, to serve is really the way I I look at it. Um, Whereas the songwriting side is more of a gift. It's kind of like just kind of listening to hear what God is going to call you to for your ministry. Um, So, uh, 
so I enjoy them both a lot, and I do have two babies, mm. and they have only been out with me, I think, two or three times on the road, and it is very difficult <laughs> to like keep I believe a, it. Uh, a four-year-old and a one-year-old busy and happy on the road or on a tour bus, <laughs> so they don't come out very often, but when they get a little bit older, well, my four-year-old, she loves it, but... um. But whenever my one-year-old gets a little bigger, we'll probably do it a little bit more. Just yeah. He'll, he'll probably be a little bit more. Well, he'll just be happier. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, you're, you're a brave man for even trying. Yeah. Well, okay, so I understand that yeah. you're actually, you're currently writing your third record right now. Can you tell me a little bit about the record and how that how that's going so far? Yeah, man, it's been amazing. Um, I really feel like, like God has really been just calling me to be more and more honest and transparent with people. Um. Mm. And and I think that this record is probably going to be like the most genuine, like mm. and honest truth from my heart. You know, even though every record has been very me, um, this one just holds a lot of like. I I feel like God is just telling me to say what needs to be said, um, mm. instead of what I what I want to say. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think like it's kind of a gospel. It's kind of going around in the church right now. Of just like, is this what we want to hear is just what we need to hear. You know what I mean? And so, um, for me, I feel like this record is what I feel like God is saying that I, my, you know, my people need to hear, you know? And, um, I, I want to be able to be the conduit that takes that message out and is, isn't going to sit there and fight about it. You know what I mean? I'm just in that listening phase of, and we've, you know, written some really fun songs so far that are really exciting. And I'm excited to see what God does with it, you know, because I really do feel like this record is, it, there's something kind of special about it. So I'm, I'm I'm pumped up. That's awesome, man. Well, that has been Jordan Feliz. He's on the Faith Tour, and that's coming to Chicagoland Friday, September 20th, 7.30 p.m. at the church. Maybe you've heard of it. Yellow Box, which is Community Christian Church, my church in Naperville. You can get tickets at jordanfeliz.com forward slash the faith tour or gopromoters.com. I can't encourage you guys enough. Uh, get tickets, get your small group, get your family. Uh, it's going to be an incredible night, and I uh, hope that you can join us. Jordan, thank you so much thank for joining you. us on the show today, man. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. We'll see you guys at the show. Can't Absolutely. wait, man. Really appreciate it. Well, coming up next, uh, a guy named Michael Frost, who I appreciate very much, wrote an article that says, How Could We Have Helped Marty Sampson's Faith? That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Ulysses from, and you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com forward slash the common good. We did, we did learn the hard way. That is a forward slash. I learned the hard way. Mm, I don't think either of us were confident, though. I think I lucked <laughs> out on it. You said, you said back, and I said, all right, I'll go forward. I'll go forward. <laughs> I just, what if I we just... both been wrong? That would have been <laughs> mind-blowing. <laughs> How easily is your mind blown? That's By it neither being a forward or a back slash. <laughs> I mean, there is a straight up and down what? one. Is that what? a slash? Mm. And what would that be called, just? Up and down slash. <laughs> Perfectly vertical. Which is probably a dance move somewhere that we're not aware of. Come and join us and do the up and down slash. Uh, all right. So so the last, oh gosh, geez, few weeks, I think, we've been talking about a number of kind of high profile Christians who have walked away 
I'm kind of tired of some of the ways it's being described. So yeah. I don't know. Is walked away the right way to talk about it? Sure. I think it's denounced. Yeah. I don't want to say and some of the people are like, oh, it's the, the apostasy. And I'm like, yeah. okay, all right, that maybe isn't helpful. Publicly language. doubting, publicly turning okay, away. Public is yeah. a good component, though. Yep. It's not just I quietly kind of steered somewhere. It's some blog or some Instagram post. And you're probably already thinking of a number of names of people that you've seen or heard people talk about. And so you and I have just. I, especially kind of over the weekend, just wrestling with, all right, what does that mean for us? Um, right. You know, you and I as pastors, but us collectively, the common good community, like when we see things like this, when we agree with some of it, or we really get riled up about other parts of it, how are we to respond in the wake of these high profile Christ followers saying, you know what? I'm out. I don't want to be a yeah. part of this anymore. And I'd love to know before we dive into this article is how, how has it kind of been hitting you personally? Does it affect you at all? Does it, do you kind of double down? Like what's kind of Brian Fromm's approach and all this? Yeah, I think if you remember from some shows when these kind of first happened, especially the Joshua Harris one, well, I first jumped in with like, why is everybody so public? Like what's the, what's behind going to Instagram, both mm, of these? Right. And that made me mad. But I think more that I've thought about it and sat on it, the more you want to wrestle with like, where's this, what is wrong? Uh, what's going on or what's in the culture that's causing these types of things or that's leading to this kind of results. Cause I want to ask that question for myself and for the people in my church and go, what is it uh, that set these guys down on the path that at the end of this path, they're getting on Instagram going, I'm out. I don't believe this anymore. Now, part of it has to do, I think with their high profile nature, whether it be a pastor and an author yeah, or, right. a, or a prolific a songwriter uh, and worship leader. Uh, but there are some good points being made here. Uh, and so in Christianity Today, uh, an article just came out called Leaving the Faith by Losing the Focus. Um, it's on a blog by Ed Stetzer, but it was written by uh, somebody else. Let me grab that name. It was written by Josh Laxton. He serves as an assistant director of the Billy Graham Center uh, at Wheaton. And uh, Laxton says something interesting. He says this, uh, I'd love your thoughts on this. He says, the bottom line is that when our lives are centered around feelings, they become shaky. But when our lives are centered around faith in Christ, they become secure. And now this is after a long talk he gives here, long writing about the book of Hebrews and where our security comes from. Um, but what, a, where, as you've wrestled with it, this whole thing about feelings versus faith, um, how, do, how, do you, how do you navigate that? I actually don't love his statement there. About like oh when we're when our faith is uh, when our faith isn't great it's shaky but when it's when it is it's secure like we I mean, we even talked a little bit maybe Thursday or Friday about um, this idea of the sin of certainty that so yeah. often it is this kind of blind certainty that fails to recognize that sometimes faith gets really rocky and we feel totally shaken look at Jeremiah. Job, maybe mm-hmm. even the Apostle Paul, right? I mean, there's there's even good scholarly work to assert that even the the style of Paul's writings and some of these prison letters shows that he's like really unsure of himself mm. and he's maybe battling some kind of depression, like reading things like that, like, Oh, this is Paul. We hold up Paul. But if you really get into the weeds, you're like, Oh, he's, he's struggling here. So to say that like, Oh, really solid faith means there is no shakiness. There is no, this is a whole other topic about doubt that I think you and I have tackled a number of times, but I, I think I think maybe one of the best pieces that I've seen on it is uh, from a guy named Michael Frost, who's a longtime friend of community, just a brilliant writer and thinker out of Australia. He said, uh, in the now deleted Instagram post, Samson wrote, how many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. 
Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send 4 billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. Did you get that? He's shaken by the moral failure of leaders, the lack of miracles, the challenges of biblical hermeneutics, and questions about theodicy and eternal punishment. In particular, he's distressed that no one talks about it. And then he kind of goes on to say, but when I first read that, I thought, I talk about it. You know, yeah. Frost, this, these are all topics that he tackles a lot. Here, here's where I think he kind of hits the nail on the head. So here's the problem as I see it. If we foster a church culture where hard questions can't be asked and answers can't be attempted, we end up with a kind of brittle faith that Samson is now shedding. Yeah. And it's maybe, I would maybe say a little more intensely than just simply shedding because it sounds like he's kind of just walking away from it entirely. What Samson seems to be dealing with is different than just sort of a deconstruction. Right. But this has come up a lot. How do we, like, what are the ways even, Brian, from you and I maybe would nod in agreement that, yes, our churches need to be places where questions are, are welcome and fostered? What are the ways that maybe we fail to do that even though we really want to? I think that is the sweet spot that no one's really talking about. Yeah. Because most pastors I know would never say, like, no, this is not a place where you can ask questions. This is not a safe place for a doubt. Yeah. I think everyone wants it to be, and yet most of our churches maybe don't actually feel like that. Why, why do you think that is? So it's because so much of our church, and I'm guilty of this, has been centered around the Sunday morning gathering. Because I'm not sure that's huh. the spot where for, I mean, you're not going to, you know, you speak to <laughs> a lot of people. You're not going to be like, hey, anybody got any questions? We all know how that's going to go. I speak right. to less people, but it would still be a train wreck if I were like, hey, any questions out there? Because you get the one or two people that are just going to. Yeah, I'm not sure that's the venue, but then I'm not sure. And I'd love to hear from pastors and churches who are doing this well. The question is, if Sunday morning is not the venue, do we have other venues, other yeah, ways right. for people to wrestle with their questions? Are we just putting it on the small groups and saying, hey, wrestle with this together where they may not have the ability to do so? Uh, or are we giving people, if not Sunday morning? And again, I don't think Sunday morning is the place for it. But if not Sunday morning, are there venues either one on one or in large groups where people can say, hey, I don't get this. I don't understand this. I need someone to talk me through this. What does that look like? And I think that's the answer to your question. We all want it, but I don't think we have quite figured out Big C Church mostly. I don't think we've quite figured out what what that venue even looks like. Well, and that's what's so hard because I think in leadership to actually create those spaces is very unpredictable. You know, a sermon, you've worked really hard all week to prepare a 25-minute message. I know generally where it's going to go. You actually start opening up spaces for real intelligent doubt, like deeply held stuff, not not this kind of straw man dismantling that so often our apologetics end up looking like. Like, how do you actually lean in and allow people – I actually think Alpha does this really well. We we work with Alpha a whole lot, Mm. and the whole premise of Alpha is – creating space for questions that no question is too far gone or too irreverent. People bring all your questions. And I think there's a reason actually that we're seeing the kind of growth with alpha that we are is because people are resonating with that. They're saying, okay, at the very least, because here's another component that maybe we don't talk about enough. Let's say four corners community church, you even begin a Wednesday evening, bring all your questions type of ministry. Yep. What you can't control is, is the faces of the people who respond to the questions that are being brought because people are very smart. And even if you create a space, if they sense that they're being judged or Mm. looked down on when honest questions are brought, 
Like, yeah. if I'm that person, I'm not bringing any more questions like to you. Like, if the whole point of the night is for me to tell you why your question's wrong. Yes, right. but not even you. I'm saying you could even be nailing it. Yep. But if you have, uh, you know, some leaders, you I bring gotcha. in a panel and their face contorts, like, oh, that's a dumb question, or I can't believe you're still wrestling with that. That is instantaneously, I think, anyone who's really struggling with doubt is saying, well, I'm out then. This is I not you're right. a safe space for me to bring questions. So how do we how do we really practically do this better then? Yeah, I, well, I think you got at it a little bit. What? How do you create a safe space for people to ask questions? It has to start with having, I would say, a church culture that says questions are not the equivalent of uh, lack of faith or right? yes. everything's also arguing. Yes. Like if you have a question, I either have to argue it or you're going to argue why I'm wrong. You're this theology, you're this politics. Um, is there, can, can we grow a church culture that says, you know what? It's okay. People like God's really big. He can handle our questions. Let's ask them and wrestle with them uh, and see what God does with them. Because I think we start to get defensive and judgmental when it's like, uh-oh, if I can't answer that question 100%, then I'm done. So I got to talk down that question. Well, and we're going to tackle that tomorrow, actually. There's a, a tweet from a, a pastor that I saw who essentially said, if you're a part of a church that doesn't allow questions, you might be a part of a cult. No. And that's maybe more aggressive than either you or I would go to. But I, I think exactly what you're saying. I don't. Not only do I not think questions are like okay in faith, I think it's evidence of a deepening and growing faith. Too. And uh, yeah, I just think we got to do better. All right, so that's a heavy conversation. Let's land the plane the way we always do with some interweb insanity. Let's do it. Just bonkers nonsense that we found online. We didn't find it. Our producers found. We have not read them. We're going to read them sight unseen, and it's going to be terrifying. Coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, everyone, that wacky music can and should only mean one thing. One thing. It's time for Interweb Insanity, which, if you're not familiar, is the end of every show. Our producers find some crazy stories. Crazy is maybe not the right word. Sometimes they're just downright dark. Yep. Other times they're a little bit, um, there's some haberdashery in there, if I may say so. <laughs> you a, may. a little bit of uh, non sequitur, but there is a, a nonsense. Added, right. An added element for us, though, is that we've never seen these before, and there are sound effects that we have not heard, and we're going to read them sight unseen and try our best to get through them. And Brian Fromm is going to kick us off. Florida. Of course. Customer, he, does, he is doing this on purpose. Doing, no <laughs> doubt about it. Customer didn't get his filet fish so he pitched a fit at McDonald's. That sounds about right. To be fair, the McDonald's filet fish is delicious, but a Manatee County suspect took his craving too far. Oh, boy. According to an incident report, a deputy arrived at the McDonald's around midnight and spoke to... Who's eating a filet fish at midnight? Woo! That's the part that drives you the most crazy. Yep. And spoke to staff who said a crazed customer did not get the filet fish he ordered in his takeout bag while going through the drive-thru and commenced to pitch a fit. Deputies say the man pulled up, exited his car, grabbed a shopping cart, and began bashing it into the side of the victim's car, causing about $2,000 in damages. Oh, no. The report did not indicate if the victim was an employee or if the Bradenton woman was just another customer in the drive-thru lane. A witness, witness, as well as the victim, told deputies they have no idea who the suspect is, but when captured, he faces felony criminal mischief charge and being gross eating filet of fish at midnight. I don't think that was the right that drop. That's not it. We got him. We're going to wait for it, John. How We're much waiting. time do we need? You let Come us on. know when the real drop is ready. Florida. Is it, re- is it, is it ready yet? I don't want to move on until we get the right drop. We're going to stare at you. Do you have it yet? Uh, no, I don't. Where is it? I don't know what happened. Where'd it go, John? I'm... Uh- You're just going to keep giggling. We're going to have to power through the rest of these stories, okay. but we are not moving on until you get this segment or until you get this drop. 
Let's test and see how long it actually is going to take me to do this. It shouldn't take me too long, but we can banter about it. We're going to let you I'm monologue, to- actually. I'm totally not panicking. What right if, here, I got it. What if you read the next one for the sake of time, and then he has to play both drops in a row? But I'm, I'm going to forget the filet of fish one. Yeah, right. You got it? Go for it. Have you ever heard the expression, the customer is always right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, here I am, the customer. That was worth it. It is funny, though, because the play of fish, and then it's just John Legend going, whoa. I actually thought it was going to be a McDonald's commercial. <laughs> All right. Here's another Florida one, so maybe he's not doing it on purpose. Man arrested after chugging $7 bottle of wine in a Walmart bathroom. Huh? Yeah, that's not a good time. A Florida man was arrested at a Walmart after police say he stuffed a $7 bottle of wine down his pants, chugged the cheap booze. Wait, $7 is cheap? Okay. <laughs> in the store bathroom and then tried to leave the store without paying. Ty Kelly, 55, living his best life now, was arrested by Pinellas Park Police on Wednesday on a pe- uh, petty thief. I was going to say petite. A, pe- a petty theft. A, petite, a, petite a small theft. bottle of wine. <laughs> After police say he stole a $6, $98 bottle of wine, which is about a uh, 98-cent bottle of wine, which is about where I'm at. Kelly was inside at Walmart on US-19 when he allegedly tucked a bottle of barefoot Riesling into his pants and headed straight to the bathroom. Court documents obtained by WTSP reported. I met her in the bathroom of a Kmart, and we made out for hours. <laughs> oh, no. And we parted ways, never to see each other again. <laughs> did we, did we I'm pretty sure that's not love. No. <laughs> We've not chosen these. Did we say that yet? We did. That's, we have nothing I'm to do with I'm also sensing those. a theme, because the next one, Florida. Holy cow. I hope they're all from Florida. I, I think that's where we're heading here. Florida man dumped dirt on girlfriend's borrowed car with a front end loader. A Florida man allegedly damaged a white Cadillac after he dumped a bunch of dirt with a front end loader when his girlfriend showed up to his job Friday in a borrowed car. Hunter Mills was arrested on at an excavating company and charged with criminal mischief. According to the Okaloosa County Sheriff's Office, Mills' <laughs> girlfriend went to the excavating company after he told her that he wanted to talk. She arrived in a white 2010 Cadillac belonging to someone else after she refused to answer a question. The defendant used a front end loader and dumped a bucket full of dirt on the roof of the driver's side half of the car. She was not injured, but the driver's side window was open. This caused dirt to fill up the air vent, center console, and power window. Don't worry, Captain. We'll buff out those scratches. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to Michigan. America's what? high five. Police near Detroit seized 300 exotic animals from bootleg zookeeper. That sounds about right. Suburban so Detroit police say they've seized more than 300 hedgehogs and other animals. I don't know why I laughed at hedgehogs. <laughs> that are being kept by what they're calling a bootleg zookeeper. The Romulus Police Department say, say it also rescued six Flemish giant rabbits, nice. three large iguanas, two kangaroos, a peacock, and an arctic fox, which is my spirit animal, and a 16-foot, 200-pound, what is that? Reticulated, Reticulated python. python. I've never heard of that. And a partridge in a picture. Yeah. <laughs> from a building on one of the city's main roads, police say they were acting on a call from a concerned resident. Yeah. Come to me, jungle friends. <laughs> Last one's out of New York. Sure. Delta flight's eight-hour delay frays passengers' nerves. Police called the breakup fight. Hmm. Port Authority police officers at JFK International in New York reportedly had to intervene after a fight broke out on a Delta flight that was delayed around eight hours. Oh, boy. Uh, one passenger tweeted the pilot had no idea where the ground crew was, and while the passengers waited, they weren't given food or water. This has gotten out of control, he tweeted. Police are on the plane. Complete chaos. I understand weather delays, and we all want to be safe, but this is not about weather, but how Delta has handled it. A local journalist, Glenna Milbrig, was on the plane at the time and tweeted video of a small sample of the increasing 
chaos. Delta said no passengers were involuntarily removed from the flight, which finally left for Miami around 11 p.m., eight hours behind schedule. Get off my plate. (laughs) (laughs) Great reference, man. What, What grade would you give today's show? Uh, a uh, B minus, an incomplete. No, B minus. B minus. No, it was good. I'm kidding. <laughs> good show today. Great Monday. Hopping. Never a dull moment. We hope that you'll join us tomorrow from four to six p.m. And every weekday, you can find us on the podcast. And uh, we're just so so glad that you chose to give us any of your day whatsoever. My name is Ian, along with Brian Fromm. This has been the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.